The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. More record highs for stocks. Big cap tech surges into year end. So how much fuel is actually left? We'll ask the investment committee debate the road ahead for your money, of course. Joining me for the hour today, we've got a supersized group. Bryn Talkington is here along with Michael Farr, Kevin O'Leary, Jim Labenthal, John Nigerian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We begin, as we always do, with a look at the major averages. Yeah, NASDAQ's gone negative by a touch, about 24 and a half points. Russell's down a quarter of a percent. S&P, though, was above 4,800 for the first time ever. Another record high. It's going for its 70th record close of 2021. Dow's the outperformer of the day. Good for one half of 1%. That's 172 points. Farmer Jim, I begin with you. The man formerly known as Mr. All-In. He, he should just be known as a symbol right now. You get off being Mr. All-In just as the market starts to take off, Jim. What gives? Scott, you are incorrigible, my friend. Uh, don't give me any credit for I the mean, fact that I was it's all, the facts. <laughs> I was the facts all are the facts. For like, for like 99% of this run. But okay, all right, listen, here's what's going to happen. We are having this end-of-year run. I have already started to trim, and next week I will start to trim. I think the market's going to go higher next year, but these are the facts. We're up 29% year-to-date. We're up 21% on average the last two years, 17% over the last 10 years. Guys, that just can't continue. And what's the catalyst that brings it down? It's really simple. It's just that the Fed has turned a little hawkish. Now, nobody needs to lose their mind about it. I'm not losing my mind about it. But next week, I'm going to trim some apple. Well, you, you know, you're not losing your mind. You're, you're, you're not losing your mind, but you, you might lose some money. You're not losing your mind, but you may lose some money. Scott. I mean, yeah, the Fed's, Scott. What do you, what, Jim, what do you think is going to happen? The ball's going to drop in Times Square and Jay Powell's going to raise interest rates? No, Scott, here's what I think is going to happen. And I, I think, honestly, you could listen to me and, and maybe learn something here, okay? The, you need a catalyst oh. for valuations to come down. You need a catalyst, and the Fed is it, okay? Their taper is going to be done by March. They're making noise about raising interest rates. Look, I'm not saying you're gonna, you're, we're not going to have a good 2022, but I do fully expect a 10% plus correction in the first quarter. And what I will not do is ride it down and then sell shares and say, oh, look at me, I'm so cute, I'm selling here and buying there. No, you got to sell when they're high. That's how this game works. So I'm going to trim next week. I already started by taking out Northrop Grumman. I'll trim those trading shares in Apple next week. I'll raise about 10% cash. And I'll have my dry powder, and you and I can have our fun going back wow. and forth uh, as the first quarter okay. develops. All right. I mean, I like the bazooka you're, you're, you're firing back in me. I, I, I can take it. That's all good. Kevin O'Leary, it's good to see you again. Uh, my man, it's been a while. How about this strategy? Farmer Jim's already driving his tractor out of the exit. Or should we be uh -huh. doing that? Are we ahead of ourselves? Or is it it's so good now that we better 
you know, start to lighten up a little bit, take advantage of this move we've had into the end of the year? Well, I'm a Farmer Jim fan, but I'll take the other side of that coin right now, and here's why. You know, right now, think of the big picture. We're going to print just under 6% GDP growth Q4. Because of the confusion around COVID and how long it's going to last and what it would do to the global economy over the next quarter, the prints have been cut down below 3% for Q1. Now, I think that's way too pessimistic, so I'm going to stay constructive stocks. The problem with going to cash right now is you're going to lose 5.5% of its value every 12 months. That's the tax of inflation. We now have this bill that's dead. Build Back Better is gone, which is really good. We've got total gridlock in Washington, really good. And at the same time, let's say PEs, price earning ratio about 24 on the SP right now. Let's say we get no PE expansion. Earnings, I believe, are underestimated for Q1, Q2. I think we'll get 8% next year in earnings growth. Why wouldn't you want to stay constructive in stock? Jim is trying to time the market. He will pay a horrible price for that. I will let him cry on my shoulder later. <laughs> it's I mean, hard it's for a me to pay point. a horrible it price feels... if I raise 10% cash. Okay. If I'm if I'm it, 90% it invested feels... and the market goes up 20%, I'll be up 18%. I'll I'll cry myself to sleep every night. It does feel like you're trying to time things, though. Look, even Tom Lee, who was with us yesterday, said while there's certainly more fuel left in the tank to carry stocks higher into the beginning of the year. And yes, he thinks earnings to start the year are going to be better than expected. He talks about, all right, then it's going to get real once we start thinking more seriously about the Fed. Here's what he said. We'll talk about it on the other side. This was Tom Lee from yesterday. And I think 2022 is really treacherous. Um, so if we are at 5,000 in January, uh, we could be down by June from there. Um, but I do think for the full year next year, it's a double-digit year, uh, partly because, you know, we're still in a solid expansion. Monetary tightening doesn't kill bull markets, but it creates a lot of volatility in front of it. So I think if the, if the Fed liftoff is in the summer, by December, the markets can look a little bit past that. And so I think we're still up 10% for the year. All right. So, Bryn, I, c- I come to you first. So, so Jim's trying to get out the door before everybody else tries to get out the door. Tom Lee says, yeah, there's going to be a correction more than likely in 2022, but it's not going to happen until mid-year once the Fed actually starts to raise interest rates. Is Jim leaving too many things on the table by trying to take some profits now rather than ride the momentum or the fuel, as Tom Lee puts it? Well, I think, well, first of all, I think it's really hard to time. But Jim's talked about he's he's 100% invested in equities. So whereas I'm an asset allocator, and we have diversified portfolios, Jim is all in on equities. And so if he thinks, you know, that's the prudent thing to do, that's, that's, that's his prerogative, and I, and I understand it. I do agree with Kevin, though, sitting in cash, because it's, it's difficult, because we always tell our investors there's two decisions to make. Selling is really easy, because it feels good. And to Jim's point, the NASDAQ's done 20% per year for the last 10 years. The S&P, I think Jim has, has done 17% for the last 10 years. So mean reversion will definitely come into play. But I do think as an investor, you have to remember that second decision is so much harder when to get back in. And so, you know, what we're doing in portfolios is, you know, increasing our allocation to things like Jeppy, 
which is a high quality U.S. equity strategy that sells covered calls to take advantage of the volatility. And then also you collect that good income from those premiums. Because ultimately, all of us on the panel, our super weapons, our secret weapons are time and patience. And I think next year is really going to call in that that second super weapon of patience, because I do agree with Tom that the first half of the year, I think is going to be choppy. I, you could, I could easily think that the second half of the year are where we're back and loaded with returns, especially don't forget this is a midterm year. And when you look at presidential elections, the midterm that midterm year is typically the worst of those four years. And so I do think the, the Fed pulling back, the fiscal drag that we're going to see, um, I think that GDP is going to come down a lot more than people expect. And that's going to put the Fed in a tough, a tough position of being able to thread the needle of reducing inflation or trying to reduce inflation, but not slow the naturally slowing economy that I think is going to come our way in the second and third and fourth quarter of this year. Okay. All right. Uh, The fair points all, of course. Uh, Dr. J, this really is a conversation about momentum, right? We we lost it and now we have it back and we have it firmly back. Right. The question is, how long can we ride that momentum into the new year before we have to face some of the real serious issues, the likes of which Bryn talked about and then ones that even escalate potentially later into 2022 midterm elections, maybe more Fed rate hikes, things like that. Well, uh, like most of the members, I, I like the second half of the year more than I like the first half, Judge. And one of the reasons for that is that we could see a 5,000 or 5,100 print um, in the first quarter. And if we do, I think that's going to contribute more to the choppiness. I think that means that, uh, you know, uh, Jim, wh- when that happens, Jim will be happy to uh, spend some of that cash that he's raised. Uh, What I'm looking forward to, Judge, is the same thing that Bryn is as far as that choppiness creates volatility. That volatility will pay me dividends by selling those pumped up calls against my other holdings. So I like that. I think um, as much as we're giving Jim a hard time about taking 10 percent off the table over, you know, this period of time leading into the end of the year, I think uh, Jay Powell's got a much tougher job than Jim Labenthal does. Um, I think uh, Jim is doing what smart people do, take some money off the table, um, don't be a pig, you know, all those sorts of things, Scott. But uh, I think Jay Powell and the Fed, they know that the market reaction may be swift and very negative to the first moves that they make as far as raising rates. We already know they're tapering. Now, as they start to raise rates, not in the first, not in January, but as they get to that point, I think that's that volatility that we're all talking about. And uh, I think that's much tougher. Go ahead. No, but but, Doc, I'm, I'm confused, though, because it would seem to me that it should be exactly the opposite, that, you know, you're more optimistic about the back half of 2022 when you have the potential mm-hmm. of more turbulence than you will have in the first half. In the second half, we can I, have I, multiple rate mm-hmm. hikes and the prospects of the, you know, just the midterm elections in and of itself make people potentially uneasy and creates a little more volatility in the market. So why under that scenario would the market do better than in the first half where you at least feel like you have a little bit of runway without the Fed getting in your face? 
Well, um, to your point, Scott, I'm not the one raising cash, but I I do see why Jim's doing it. I do think the Fed moves by April on the first rate hike. Um, And so I think, like I say, that is that turbulence, that first rate hike. And yeah, by April. And then the second one, I mean, if we get another hot inflation number, Scott, I don't think they'll be able to just uh, accelerate the taper any longer. I think they're going to actually have to move. And by then, they will have made several moves on the taper. We have several meetings between here and April. I think they will have plenty of time to uh, both increase that taper and get us ready for that first uh, jump, whether it's the end of April, Scott, um, or whether it's at the meeting at the beginning. I think either one of those, uh, because I think they could do it in between meetings if they get a hot inflation read. And uh, again, I think that that's tough for Jay Powell and the Fed. That'll test their mettle again to see how much pain they're willing to watch in the market when that happens. And that will be a buying opportunity where Jim could commit capital. All right. So, Michael Farr, uh, this is a great thing about an investment committee, right? You sit in a room and you discuss how you view the world in terms of how to make your investment decisions. And you get a diverse array of opinions. So then we come to you and we say, okay, you've heard all the arguments on both sides, you've seen a lot of markets. What do you think is going to happen relative to what you just heard? Yeah, this is a little confusing because these are all experts that I, who I really respect and follow, uh, Scott. Um, I think we look back on previous Decembers and the conversations I've had with so many clients as we look forward to the new upcoming year, and a lot of them that we're having now are very similar to the ones we've had for the past three years, which are markets just had a great year. That can't keep up. The next year's got to be have muted returns. Interest rates are too low. They've got to go higher. And you go on and on and on. And yet, after you have those conversations in December, we end up with these really amazing years, uh, by and large. 2018, kind of the exception when the Fed was uh, crimping down on us, and then and 2019 was fabulous again. So I come back and say, I have no idea what this market's going to do, but I take a couple of points from each one of them saying, all right, the economy's still expanding. We hope that the Fed can tame inflation without killing economic growth. I agree with Kevin. I think earnings are going to be a little bit higher than people are expecting. The consumer has a lot of cash. The consumer is still spending. Balance sheets are great. So uh, I think there's more of a runway here. There's typically more runway. Even when the Fed starts raising rates, you get another year, almost two years of positive market returns. So I tend to feel fairly bullish. I may do some trimming at the beginning of the year and follow Farmer Jim, but not to raise cash. I've already got my list I want to buy. I stay fully invested, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how to just raise a cash position and leave it on the side. I wish I did. Well, look, we're going to get to later in the show your 10 picks for 2022, and I can understand why maybe you want to take some chips off the table from the list in 2021, because most of those names absolutely knocked it out of the park. I'll just tease it that way. We'll get to it a little bit later. So I, I, I feel you where you're, you're coming from on that. The, the question is, where do you want to be in 2022 to, to start, at least for the start of the year? Things have gotten top heavy, and we've talked about that on numerous occasions, right? Um, a lot of money of late yeah. fueling this move of late. 
has been in the mega cap names. Um, Bryn, do I, do I want to stay that way? Or do I want to take advantage of a place that you've been invested in and have told us to be patient in because you're thinking of the long term? And that's some of those high valuation Kathy Wood type stocks, which, by the way, haven't been enjoying this late year run. Right. Our the innovation fund was down more than one percent yesterday as the NDX was up like one and a half percent. But where do I want to be? Do I want to take advantage of the dispersion there in my favor, if, if I think it could be in my favor? Or do I just want to stay tried and true, if not even a little bit defensive by staying with the mega caps? Well, as an asset allocator, I don't have to make the choice of just owning one. I do think, as I said earlier at the front of the show, you want to overweight. I really like the covered call strategy because then you're, you're, you're capitalizing on the volatility. Um, you have high, you know, U.S. equity, large cap stocks selling calls against that. I just think that's a tried and true strategy to keep clients in their seats. I think that energy I was my favorite se- sector this year. It's my favorite sector for 2022. I think as it, re- as it relates to the, the Qs and the ARC, both of which I have a position in, you know, we've really barbelled that against small cap value, which going into this year, I, I agree I don't know, it was Kevin or Michael that said, you know, inflation potentially is going to be high in the first part of the year. I do think, though, outside of housing and energy, inflation numbers are going to come down. And so and I also think rates are going to stay low on the long end. And that really does play into technology. And so I think that, you know, Sir John Templeton, who I'm a big fan of, you know, he always said you want to buy during maximum pessimism and bear markets are the best place for excess returns. Well, so as we're talking about the NASDAQ, the S&P basically close to all-time highs, within the NASDAQ and the Russell 2000, the average stock is still down about 34%. And so there's a big bear market going underneath the surface. So I definitely wouldn't discount those names. I'm looking at them right now. I'm still doing some research. Obviously, if we take a bigger position into those names, my default would be to buy ARKK because they're doing the heavy lifting on these names. But I think you want to be a diversified portfolio and not try to make these big binary bets. because I think that's who gets hurt this year. Yeah. Kathy Wood's been selling a lot lately, too. Uh, not that we can definitively uh, read into her mind or, or what um, sorts of strategies are, are behind what she's doing of late. So I don't necessarily want to d- discuss that um, in, in greater detail until we have more clarity on, on what exactly is going on there. But Farmer Jim, I'm going to try and get inside your mind a little bit Um, in terms of if you're in the position, as you say you are, of looking to lighten up a little bit in specific areas where you've had big wins. I'm staring at the semiconductors, which are at a record high, and I've got NXPI staring me right in the face. NXP semis up 44 percent this year. I hope some people followed you into the name. When you when you said that you owned it and, and others on the show, too. And I think Stephanie Link is, is one of them as well, if my memory serves me well. Um, so what do you do with a name like that? Is that an area that you're looking to maybe take some chips off the table? Uh, strong no on trimming in the chips. Um, and, and first off, you've got to divide the chips into three spaces. There's the hyper growth, the really expensive ones of AMD and NVIDIA. There's growth at a reasonable price, which is Qualcomm NXP. And I love NXP coming right back to that. And then there's deep value, which is Intel. The only place I want to be in is the growth at a reasonable price, Qualcomm and NXP. And NXP, honestly, I think that could turn into and NVIDIA AMD a couple of years from now with a very nice multiple given their growth rates in automotive and industrial applications. I know that's a bold statement, but 
NVIDIA and AMD were smaller three years ago. People didn't know them as the juggernauts they are now. I think that's what you've got in NXP. Time will tell, but I'll tell you what, I don't want to trim from semis right now. I just see that as the railroads or the steel of this century, the way those industries were in the prior century. Um, so that's not where I'm going to trim, Scott. But as I said, you know, I am going to trim from the FANG names, starting with Apple. I'm going to keep my overweight to cyclicals in the new year because for the full year 2022, I see energy, materials, financials, and industrials having the highest growth rate in earnings as infrastructure hits, as the economy globally continues to reopen from Omicron, and just the overall expansion in the economy continues. Okay, so let, you mentioned Apple. Uh, you're going to yep. trim from there from your trading position. Just want to make sure yep. we're all clear on what position we're talking about. Uh, Let's show it, too, because we're talking about approaching once again three trillion dollars in market cap. We're not that far away. We're a few bucks when we when we started the day uh, today. You need, I think, one eighty two seventy five somewhere around that level. So, you know, we're not that far away. Um, it leads me to more of those kinds of stocks. Dr. J, you bought Amazon calls today. Since we're talking about mega caps, it's been a mega cap disappointment for 2021 year to date up five percent. You know, handily trails the S&P, trails all of the other mega cap tech competitors. It's still almost 10 percent off of its 52 week high. So why'd you buy those calls today, Doc? Well, they bought 11,000 of those, which was it? The December 3450, Scott, which was, um, you know, just right around where the stock was. Uh, 3435 or something like that, I believe it was. So let's say $15 under that level. When they buy 11,000 of something as big as that, that's 1.1 million shares of a $3,500 stock. Uh, that's why I jumped in there, Scott. And uh, again, Bryn and I both have been talking about volatility and so forth. Scott, if, if I showed you the amount of money that you could be making selling those calls uh, against your uh, long positions in Amazon, you can easily take that into the low 20 percent returns. Um, so you are correct. Factual, it's up 5% year-to-date. Not great performance. But to have one of the absolute stellar stocks um, out of all of the S&P 500 and to be able to then enhance that with another 15 or 20% upside uh, just by selling those upside calls against it, that, that's why we play this game. That's why um, even if you've got – I mean, if you could just pick for me, Scott – 10 stocks like that that would just be steady eddies, 5%, and yet I was able to collect as much money as I can collect selling these upside calls, I'd just be in those 10 stocks, and I wouldn't do any other trading. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, speaking of Amazon, Kevin O'Leary, which you own as well, Mark Mahaney's out with his top Internet picks of 2022. It's number one. $4,300 is the price target. That's a 26% upside from here. So he's looking for a huge year, calls it arguably the single best fundamental asset in Netland and one whose massive 20 and 21 infrastructure investments should begin to pay dividends in 22. You want to talk about that one? Yeah, I, I agree with that call. This is an infrastructure stock, not only uh, for the Internet and for the cloud services. This is a consumer infrastructure stock. The, the, the consumer has changed their preference behavior and purchase over the last two years, mandated by the pandemic, of course. But let me give you an example of how sticky Amazon has become. And a lot of people don't watch these affinity programs attached to credit cards. Let's just take the one at American Express, for example. 
American Express has formed a relationship with Amazon that you can take the points you make after you've purchased goods and services on your American Express card and buy goods and services on Amazon. It treats it like cash. It's a payment source. In order to do that, you have to open an account at Amazon. You have to go to Prime and do it. And it becomes a very sticky relationship. I've done that a few years ago and realized, my goodness, this is incredible consumer information they're getting because now they're getting the same data American Express is getting about my, my purchase behaviors. And that over time enforces you to go back and use the service. They're doing this across many other payment services. Built Card is, a, is one that just came on the market that allows millennials to pay rent uh, on their credit cards and improve their credit scores. Again, forming relationships with platforms like Amazon. So I think there's a new story, a new narrative emerging. I think the company is doing this globally. And if you if you want to be in the consumer space, how can you not have a 5% weighting in Amazon? Yeah, it's got volatility. But you could have said that 17 years ago. It's a go-to name. It also works in every sector because they buy from pretty well every company that manufactures goods and services in America and repurpose it. And one last comment, they don't give away their consumer data. And they keep it all for themselves. And new AI technology is to let them put a new pricing uh, program in place that knows exactly when to charge what, to whom, and where. It's amazing. It's a real behemoth company today. Yeah, pretty soon they'll be making you, they'll, they'll use that technology to, to make you start buying stuff in your sleep. Uh, Kevin, maybe, maybe that's the road ahead. Speaking of our road ahead. Straight ahead, the Halftime Report Stock Summit review continues. The winners, the losers from the investment committee's mid-year picks. Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Life in prison without a chance of parole. That is the sentence for Chad Isaac, the man found guilty of killing four people at their workplace in North Dakota. It's been described as one of the most gruesome crimes in the state's history. 
Investigators say the victims were stabbed more than 100 times in total. Before the sentencing, Isaac told the court he is no murderer. The judge in the Ghislaine Maxwell sex abuse trial has told jurors that deliberation hours will be extended today. She says that the, quote, astronomical spike in COVID cases in the New York area has raised the risk that jurors and trial participants may need to quarantine. And on the news, families and attorneys speak out after police fatally shoot a 14-year-old girl who was hit by a bullet meant for the suspect of an assault. That is tonight at 7 Eastern. And the CDC says that the Omicron variant made up 59% of new COVID cases in the week ending on Christmas. That's up from 23% in the previous week. The CDC had said that last week that Omicron accounted for the majority of new cases, but it sharply lowered that estimate based on new data. You are now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right. Now we continue our review of the investment committee's top second half picks from our June stock summit. All right, Bryn, I'm starting with you. Uh, number one pick, you uh, recommended Roku at $367. It's down 37% since that. Now, as far as I know, you never personally owned it, so it maybe takes the sting off of you. Uh, but what went wrong? Why didn't this stock perform the way you, you expected that it might? Yeah, well, so I think if you go back and look when we did that, the stock actually by the end of August, I think got up to 480. And I said it was more of an aggressive play. And I definitely said to sell calls against it. We'd have to go back and play the tape, but I think the calls were yielding. We're gonna bring in about 18% to 20% premium. And so it was one of those riskier names where technically the chart looked good, it did run up, but clearly it's a stinker. Even if you sold the calls against it, where you where you earn 20%, you're still down on the stock. And so I'm gonna say this, this name, has gotten lumped in to all of the pandemic darlings and really has sold off just in lockstep with a really high correlation with all those other names. No, you're you're right. And I should have mentioned that you you do. I mean, you always talk about your covered call strategy um, and you use that in this instance, too. Um, Thank you for pointing that out. I'm sorry. I I should have mentioned that Um, Coinbase was another one that you did the same strategy with uh, buy at 230, sell January calls against it. it's up 19% since then. I really, I really like Brian Armstrong. I like Coinbase. I think there's going to be multiple rails, multiple winners in the blockchain crypto space. You know, in the third quarter, this last quarter for, for, for um, Coinbase, they were light on expected revenue, but they still came in at about 1.2 billion net revenue. They have earnings. You know, Coinbase just launched Coinbase NFT Marketplace. They have Coinbase Wallet. And I also think um, part of the company that doesn't get talked about enough is Coinbase Ventures, where they take part of their balance sheet to invest across the early stage or mid-stage, early stage, all across stages of blockchain. And so they've made a tremendous amount of seed stage and and later stage investments that I think for investors long-term will bear fruit. So I continue to have that as one of my top names. And it's a wonderful name to sell calls against because there's some really nice premium that you can take advantage of the volatility in the in the short term. Good year for energy, uh, which was your sector pick. Not the greatest return since the the timing of of mid-June. It just leads me to know that you sold Kinder Morgan, which is a new trade for you. And you use those proceeds to buy more of the XOP, which is the oil and gas ETF. Can you tell our viewers why you did that? 
Yeah, love, love Rich Kinder. Kinder Morgan's a wonderful company. I just wanted some higher beta exposure. I already have a big position in XLE. XOP is basically XLE minus Chevron and Exxon. And so really, I think energy is going to be great next year. And I wanted some higher beta exposure to have more outsized returns. Okay, Dr. J, that brings me to you. I don't think you owned any of these things we're going to talk about, but nonetheless, it's time to get in the hot seat, my man. Kellogg, down one and a half percent since then. I love it. <laughs> Campbell Soup, yeah, down seven percent since mm-hmm. then. Match Group, down thirteen percent since then. Doc, what's up with that? Well, I thought people'd be sitting around in their apartments, uh, buying soup, having breakfast, and you know. Uh, spinning the dial on match.com scott none of them worked out uh, but like you say um i i and, and that that's a bad visual i know but um basically scott i thought that those would play out in particular i thought match group was almost a no-brainer and that one didn't work out so the only thing that at all saved me in that group was uh more or less the one that's in with Bryn, and that is energy um, even though it was up much bigger a month ago uh, before the sell-off after Thanksgiving with Omicron. Um, nonetheless, uh, those other three, Kellogg's, Soup, uh, Campbell's Soup, and uh, Match, yep, just didn't go anywhere, Scott. All right. We're going to get to Jim Labenthal's before the show is out. I promise you that. And for more <laughs> investing ideas, tune in tonight, okay. 6 p.m. Eastern, for CNBC special, Your Money in 2022. Up next, we've got Michael Farr's top picks for the new year. We're going to look back at his picks for 21. Most of them killed it. We're back after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Michael Farr is out today with his annual list of the top 10 stocks for the upcoming year. The latest list includes several new names, but also a few repeat picks from 2021 that he's doubling down on. You know, Michael, um, I said that in, in most cases, you crushed it here. Uh, Goldman Sachs up 48 percent. Valmont Industries, 43 percent. Lowe's, 58. CVS, 50. Raytheon, 20. Apple, 35. Alphabet, 68. Beckton Beck, uh, Dickinson was flat. 
Uh, you only had one stock that was down, that being Medtronic. Um, you know, a couple stocks that, you know, trailed the S&P. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know. Of all those names, that's pretty damn good, man. Um, how does that factor into what you're picking for this year? Uh, you, you know, I've done this for a number of years, Scott, and I do it personally. And I sell out the one year's list, previous year's list. So on the 31st, I'll sell out this list and I'll buy 2022's list. This coming year, I'm going to be a little more, I think, conservative, a little more defensive, a few more industrial names, a real focus on balance sheets and cash flow. When you see the successive number of years, what did Jimmy say, 17% a year or Bryn uh, for the past 10 years? That's amazing. So uh, a little more conservative here with good, strong cash flow. And those that haven't performed, like my Medtronic, which was the underperformer, I'm going to keep that one. I think that one's going to work. I just can't get my time frame right. Let me ask you about um, another one that looks like you're, you're doubling down on if you want to use that terminology. I mean, Raytheon was up 20%. So it trailed the S&P. But, I mean, I think anybody would take a 20% gain in, a, in an individual name on a, on a given year. Uh, you're staying with it for 22. Why so? I... I well, I really like it. When you think of the aero defense space and the amount of contracts and what happened with a lot of the uh, airlines and everything else and, and, and uh, manufacturers and orders, you can understand there might have been some weakness here. They have these geared turbofan engines they've been investing in for years. I think it can be hugely profitable. Also, 65% of their revenues, profits coming from that aero uh, dispense, uh, aero, aero, aero defense side of the business. I think this one, you know, at 16 times earnings, growing those earnings, I think at 15 percent for the next couple of years, uh, I like it. I mean, you're also trying to buy some things on, on the dip or, you know, underperformers. FedEx uh, was down this year. You've got that as a new pick. Uh, Disney down 14 percent. You have that as a pick. Incidentally, Kevin's buying more of Disney, which I'll talk to him in a second. Doc's got some action there, too. Um, why is Disney on the list? Uh, Disney is a fabulous company. It's got a fabulous balance sheet. It's got good cash flow. The, this Disney Plus picked up 120 million subscribers in two years. 120 million subscribers. Their forecasts at Disney are to take that to 240, 250, 260 million subscribers by the end of 2024. They've still got a, a recovery and reopening in theaters and theme parks. This is a huge, wonderful company that people just hate and an amazing brand getting ready to turn 100 years old, publicly traded company, 100 years old. They're very rare. I love this company. Tell me about Ross stores. Why that play down 8 percent on the year? You've added it as one of your picks of all the retail stocks that you could take. Um, why that one? So Ross is really cool. I think it's the number two kind of uh, apparel and home furnishing kind of a thing, but it's one of those treasure hunt kind of kind of stores. They buy uh, a whole bunch of bulk in leftovers uh, of other goods and brand names from other retailers, and then they sell them at a discount. They turn over inventory. They are not slaves to whichever fashion is there or not there. The margins are fabulous. They, uh, they have a huge number of stores. They're growing their stores, and they're profitable. I th I, and, and there's also a trade down in the consumer if things get a little bit tougher to the end of the year. I think it works on a number of levels.
All right, good stuff. Uh, we'll see how everything shakes out. Uh, but again, nice job for 2021. Uh, several stocks I'm, with gains. I'm reminded more there are only two types. So only two types of investors, Scott, those who have been humbled and those who are about to be. I'm very cautious. No, I knew you would have a lot of humility on that, but still, nice job. Uh, I do appreciate it. I know our viewers do as well. As I said, Kevin O'Leary Thank is you. buying more Disney. Kevin, you want to tell us why? I consider Disney a defensive play, actually. Uh, that stock has been really beaten up, ironically, right around the uh, Iger exit interview on CNBC. That was a very interesting uh, dialogue, exclusive, of course. But um, if you had bought, I, I've owned this stock since the 60s at $62 right through his career uh, he executed perfectly and now the narrative seems to be all around disney plus it is just a fraction of the franchise and i i I love it when people get so focused on one attribute of a business they forget about all the balance sheet strength of the other aspects including the content and what really got me got me over the edge and this happens sometimes you know just this these iconic moments I'm sitting down watching the Beatles content uh, for Peter Jackson, and they specifically give credit to Iger for greenlighting that project. I was mesmerized for six hours, and I realized these guys have it all. The power to find and finance the best content, the distribution channel on on, on theaters and, and traditional television on ABC. And, of course, I'm part of that family with Shark Tank, so I know all the Disney executives. There's no company run like Disney. And I think every time you get... This opportunity at 14.2% correction. For me, you got to double down, which is what I've done. I mean, I had it down to 1% weighting. Now it's 2.3. I'm going to go up to 5%. Mm. I'm just going to look for my opportunity. It's protection against volatility. We've all been talking about volatility in Q1, Q2. Disney, I think, is where you hide. Interesting. Dr. J, did you see activity? And is that why you bought Disney calls today? Yeah, and I I did have it. So along with Kevin, I doubled down on this one, Scott, but not the stock with the calls. 16,000, that's probably a number Kevin would do. It's about 1.6 million share equivalent of the this Friday 155 calls were purchased, Scott. So yeah, that's enough to get my interest up. And uh, I think they'll be right. And I think Kevin is right to jump back in here, too. All right, Doc, you're going to be back with us in two seconds after this break because you got unusual activity. So get set for that. We'll step away and we'll come back right after this. We're going for the 70th record close of the year on the S&P 500. Looks like we have a little bit of work to do because we've now gone negative Remember, we did top 4,800 for the very first time earlier in the session, but it's a fractional loser now, down about nine and a third points there. Dow still holding on to gains. It's lost almost, I don't know, 80 or so points off of its high, maybe a little more than that. Russell 2000 still negative. NASDAQ's negative by nearly 100 points. Been a nice run, though, uh, for stocks over the last three, four days. Ten-year note yield worth pointing out, as always, still can't get over 150, 1.465% is where the 10-year note currently uh, sits. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with that unusual activity with Dr. J. It is that time. Unusual activity, Dr. J. What are you seeing for us today? Well, Scott, this is one that my brother Pete has brought us a couple times in the last two weeks. So this is the third. 
and I'm hoping the third time's the charm for Kupang. Uh, this one, uh, Chinese, I'm sorry, uh, Korean, South Korean um, e-commerce mobile play, Scott. And they're buying the January 30 calls with the stock at about 29 and a half. Uh, I'm thinking this is the time that it does break through there. These calls expire next Friday, Scott. Second trade was uh, Macy's. They're buying the 2650 calls that also expired January 7th, next Friday. And in this case, Macy's was about 2625. So just 25 cents out of the money. Uh, like that one as well. Already owned some Macy's, so I added to it here. And these are short-term trades, but not this week. Next Friday trades on both. I got you, Doc. Thank you very much. Let's also get to Jim Labenthal. I mentioned I did want to get to his uh, stock summit picks. Uh, Jim, I want to focus on Cleveland Cliffs with you uh, because it's done nothing since you picked it. And I know how much you like it. And I'm sure it did well up until June. I don't have the exact number in front of my face. But um, what about that stock now? Yeah, um, this is for me my top pick in 2022. So I don't know if I can be any clearer. I think this is wow. a home run. I okay. did think it would be $30 by year end. I've got to push that out six months to June 30th. It obviously got caught up in the Omicron uh, issues. But what's happening here is steel prices are still high, even if they're off their peak, and iron ore prices are low. So their gross margins are tremendous. It's really a simple equation of cash flow. And that cash flow is going to continue as autos get produced, as household appliances get bought, and as infrastructure gets built. So I'm happy to see my friend, uh, Mr. Wonderful, on the show. And in his honor, I'm going to say this is all about the cash flow, Judge. Kevin, did I do that right? <laughs> oh, you did that pretty well. Kevin, was that, is that okay? Yes, cash flow is what is 2022 is going to be all about. You're going to love cash flow. Provide stability. No question all about right, it. We'll see. We'll see how Cliffs does in the year ahead. We're going to keep Jim honest on that one, too. All right, we'll step back. We'll come back with final trades after this. It is already that time. Final trades. Bryn, why don't you start us off today? We all talked about volatility. So why don't you look at Jeppy if you don't own it, as high-quality covered call strategy gives you great income. Okay, thank you. Michael Farr? We didn't get to FedEx, Scott, but I like it. 11 times earnings, growing those earnings at 14% with a 1.2% dividend. All right, good stuff. Happy New Year to you. Good to see you today. Kevin O'Leary, same to you. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Vintage Wine Estates, to growing a massive direct business in the beverage industry and just bought Ace Hard Cider and upgraded their guidance because their direct consumer business of 42 states exploding 3,000 acres of vineland under control. All right, Farmer Jim. Yeah, Boeing. Obviously, it's been a troubled stock for some time. But in the last week, it's up 10 percent as it comes out of the Omicron woes. And it also comes out of tax loss harvesting. So I think this price to buy it is the right one, especially if, as I do, you see aerospace recovery continuing in 2022. All right, Dr. J. American Eagle Outfitters, January uh, 14th. 24.50 calls, bought them during the show, Scott. Okay, good stuff. Let's take one last check of the markets, too. We mentioned uh, we'd certainly come off the highs in the S&P's case, which is going for its 70th record close of the year. It had dipped into negative territory. Uh, it's still sitting there. It's a fractional move, down four points. NASDAQ's under some 
More pressure today, down about 76 or so. Dow hanging on to a 79-point gain uh, at this hour. That does it for us. I'll see you tomorrow. The Exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.